Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this Tuesday, 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on today's program, a look at a couple of headlines, as well as a preview of what's coming up on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show and what's at thetrumpet.com. And in the second part of today's program, we have an interview with uh, Mr. Gareth Frazier, who works uh, a lot with the Royal Vision Magazine, PCOG website, a few other things, too. We're going to talk to him about some of those projects that he's working on and uh, what we can expect to see in the future. That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we are online to kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com. I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon, back today after a uh, trip to Houston over the last few days, personal appearance campaign with Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Fleury. Uh, By all accounts, very successful, and everyone made it back. Yeah, and the messages both nights, they were about the book of Hebrews again, like he did in L.A. a few weeks ago, but uh, it felt like to everyone there that he really ramped up the power and the the urgency. He was very direct this time about what God expects of people who hear the truth and 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 how people should be approaching Christ as their living Savior. It was, it was really well done, and you could definitely tell afterwards that the audience was pretty fired up about it. Oh, that's outstanding. Well, uh, for those that are listening and uh, would like to be at one of those campaigns and aren't sure how to do it, uh, subscribing to the Trumpet Magazine is uh, the way to do it because once you become a subscriber, then you get on that other list as well. And it's a free subscription. So uh, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up at thetrumpet.com. It's free. Uh, we're going to take a look at a few stories today. Uh, I thought we'd start out with uh, talking about uh, the medal standings, if you've been uh, following the Olympics at all. There is a funny story, actually. Uh, you may have seen this headline. Of course, it's over in South Korea, and it's in Pyeongchang. There was a local news station that their graphic artist got the name wrong for the graphic, and they were doing an Olympic story, and it was about P.F. Chang's, <laughs> which is a Chinese restaurant. Those do sound similar, but two very different things. I thought at first you were going to say it was Pyongyang, which is the North Korean capital, which is, at least that would have been a kind of understandable mistake. This is just way out there this is a restaurant name i i've worked in uh, a, te- a television station before and, and was involved in some of those daily broadcasts and so forth and you know it can happen they, the, those graphic guys <laughs> they gotta they gotta be sharp they have to be alert and they have to be making the graphics correctly and sometimes <laughs> things get lost in translation i can just imagine the conversation in the control room when that came up and somebody said wait a second did anyone review these graphics ahead of time? And so that was, they made national news because of it. So I, I guess they got their station some publicity. Yeah, any pub- publicity is good publicity sometimes, especially if you're the local news. I mean, that's going to probably increase your audience a hundredfold, at least for a short time, to see if you'll do anything like that again. In this case, it was hopefully an innocent mistake, but there have been some pretty horrible stories of people 
doing this as a joke and thinking that it'll get caught before it actually gets put on the air or put into print. Yeah. And if the editors are rushed, then it, it'll go out there the way that they put it as a joke, which which can cause a lot of problems. Live broadcasting is always exciting. That's why we do it. <laughs> the The medal count from the Olympics. Germany is in the top spot right now with uh, five gold medals, nine overall, followed by the Netherlands and then Norway and then Canada and then the United States with three gold medals, six overall, way down at the very, very bottom of the list. Kazakhstan, they have one medal. They have a bronze. So uh yeah that's always exciting when you're a smaller country and you're maybe the one athlete that got a medal you're a national hero there if you go back to kazakhstan yeah that, so is that just of all the countries that have had medals or do they all have medals i think that's of all the ones that have them i'm okay. not sure if they they have all medaled and, you know and it's that's what's so interesting about the olympics is you have people that are they're there to win because they're at that top level and then you have some where you know they probably won't win but they're going for their personal best, and they can always say they participated in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And and my wife and I were commenting after watching a little bit yesterday that for the most part, what we have seen has been really good sportsmanship, where somebody they make a mistake, and you know you know how disappointed they are, but they still smile and wave at the camera. And and uh, there was a one uh, lady that was asked about her score because the judges thought it was a little low, and she said, "Well, I haven't really paid attention to the." I'm just trying to do my best, and I feel like I did that. And So I know they're disappointed, but they, at least uh, in a lot of ways, I think they've showed great sportsmanship. And that's that's the beauty of the Olympics when you see things like that, where they're competing hard, good sportsmanship, and, and uh, that's the positive side of it. Yeah, that's what they call the Olympic spirit. Everyone's going there, hopefully in a display of peace and unity, uh, however short-lived that might be, but at least... At least they're making some kind of an effort to come together like that. And especially with these athletes, they're in a rare class of people who work extremely hard to only get to put that on ex- on display to a large audience every four years. So they can all relate to each other, whether they have a spectacular success or a devastating failure. All those athletes can picture themselves in that exact same situation, and they know exactly how they'd feel in that situation. We were watching a little bit of the women's snowboarding which america got the gold medal in that and uh a pretty new sport to me i mean i know people do it but i'm not not real familiar with it but what i do like about that sport is that i think they have three runs and at the end they kind of know where their score is they can throw out their worst one and so um they go for it they just have to go for it they have to try like the hardest trick they can try and a lot of them don't make it but they've got to try and i like that aspect of just Let's just give it our best shot and see what happens. That was pretty exciting to see. Yeah, that's one of the most amazing sports you can watch just because they'll do like, you know, seven flips in the air by the time they come back down. And of course, it's it's kind of like usually the half pipe that they're that they're on made out of snow, and if they even just barely hit the lip the wrong way, they're going to fall really hard. I mean, it's it takes so much precision to do that right and they're taking so much risks even just with their physical health what they're doing i saw some of the downhill skiing last night one of the norwegians just zipping down the hill at like probably 60 miles an hour or something like that and he had to hit these turns really tight and uh it was in the lobby of the hotel and there was this other guy just like exclaiming he was like wow i can't believe they're doing that just because he was watching it and couldn't believe how dangerous it was and yet how skilled the guy was at doing it. The speed is incredible yeah. and knowing that if you make a mistake, you have to control yourself going down that mountain. It's very hard to do. And there and there have been 
some who fall in the in a course like that and the fall doesn't really stop for quite some time i mean they just keep bouncing down the mountain which is pretty scary to watch uh i think it was lindsey vaughn one of the u.s skiers who had a really bad crash like that and she was featured in one of those commercials trying to rehab and come back i think for this olympics but it just takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of time if you crash one time uh to get healthy again Finland is uh, the second least amount of medals for nations that have medaled. They have two, two bronzes. But Finland's doing very well in other ways. There's a write-up here from The Guardian. Safe, happy, and free, does Finland have all the answers? This is a new series that The Guardian's doing. Uh, It's called The Upside, where they look at how uh, different things are going right in the world, at least as far as their, their estimation is. And they say that uh, Finland went from famine about 100 years ago to topping nearly every global social ranking. So they're taking a look at Finland. And it's funny because they do say in the write-up that when they talk to people from Finland about the fact that their nation does so well, they always laugh and say, wow, other nations are that bad. (laughs) So they have a bit of a sense of humor about it, and I don't know that they're patting themselves on the back too much. But they are doing well in quite a few areas. Uh, last year on the uh, uh, 100 years, or I guess it was 100-year anniversary of its independence, Finland was ranked by assorted international uh, committees as the most stable, the safest, and the best governed country in the world. It was also the third wealthiest, the third least corrupt, the second most socially progressive, and the third most socially just. Finland's judicial system is the most independent in the world, its police the most trusted, its banks the soundest, its companies the second most ethical, its elections the second freest, and its citizens enjoy the highest levels of personal freedom, choice, and well-being. So they're doing very well. The Nordic country's 5.5 million inhabitants are also the third most gender equal in the world, have the fifth lowest income inequality, their babies are the least underweight, (laughs) (laughs) they measure everything. Their kids feel the most secure, and their teens perform the second best at reading. They're only third in science. So they're, <laughs> but they're third in science. So they're looking at Finland. They're saying, what makes them so successful? Uh, and it's kind of an interesting thing to look at a nation and try to figure out what they're doing right. Yeah, and they do have some decent analysis in here, uh, just how uh, the people have learned to be really hardworking. They they're similar to the Russians, like you've mentioned before, how they come from a pretty cold, harsh climate, and they've just become really tough from that, and they learn to support themselves and help each other out. Uh, but but then again, these, these same people who write like this uh, don't seem to realize maybe why it is as successful as it is. They point out a couple of things in the article. They're trying, like, again, they're trying to find, you know, why do, why do things work for Finland? And uh, one of the points is, is that every person has to work hard for themselves, uh, and but they always help their neighbors, too, because of sort of the environment they live in. And like you said, it's colder climate, and so people do work hard. They do help out their neighbors. It is a, a, a close-knit community. And at the end of the article, they, they try to determine what's in the magic sauce, the <laughs> secret sauce that makes Finland so successful. They say the magic sauce then seems based mainly on basic virtues, self-confidence, cooperation, equality, respect for education, trust. And so all of that probably does factor in. But it's interesting then when you read what some of the people commenting on the article say. This person says, 
As someone who believes in the utopia of multiculturalism, this is hard for me to ask. But what has immigration been like in Finland during this period? <laughs> is there any correlation between the trust evoked here and the cultural similarity among the population? I would like to think we can build effective trust across the population in the way discussed in the article. But my guess is that that uh, is more challenging. And uh, where um, you exist in a multicultural landscape, it's tougher to do. They say, or have I gone to the dark side? <laughs> so some commenters are saying, well, but everyone's roughly from the same background. And that's probably why they're all getting along. Right. This The Guardian is a, obviously a left-leaning paper. And so even some of the commenters here who might have that political leaning can see that well, you know, 94% of the people there speak Finnish. The other 6% speak Swedish. And there's literally a, a few dozen or a few hundred others who speak other languages. So the fact that they basically have one national language and their 6%, the other 6% speak a very similar first language, uh, that probably has something to do with it. They're described as homogenous, which means they're all the same color, which... Sadly, it shouldn't it shouldn't matter that much, but human nature dictates that it always does. Here's an example of a country that seems to get along well and the people seem to really work well together. Does it have anything to do with the fact that everyone is like everyone else, that they're all so similar to each other that selfishly it's easier to help people who are more like them? They're they have a common they have a lot of things in common. One of their commenters says, yes, they have a cohesive society that hasn't been corroded and undermined by mass immigration. They have a sense of what it is to be a Finn and are proud of it. In the UK, if you declare you are proud to be British or worse, English, you will either be pitied or most more likely shouted down as racist. <laughs> so, I mean, these are just some of the comments on the story. And I mean, there is some common sense to that. I know even the first commenter said, well, I'm all for the utopian dream of every race and everything mixing together but if you just logically and honestly look at the world where you see those big uh, uh, immigration centers you have a lot of problems and when you see people sticking more to their own race I know that's not popular to say <laughs> you see people working together better I mean that's just that's just what you see even they can see it even the um, um, <clears throat> the uh, guardian here can see it even though they're not looking at that specific reason but they can see that there's success there Exactly. Anyone should be able to look at what they're doing and see that uh, something is working out well. And if you contrast Finland to the U.S. right now, the U.S. has about 186 million white people, 39 million blacks, 35 million Hispanics, 10 million Asians, and then there's uh, some other groups as well. But it literally is a melting pot like everyone has always called America. The problem is now that people are not melting in the pot. They're not mixing and assimilating like they used to. That's why we're having so much strife among the races right now. That's why there's so much violence in the streets because the different groups literally think they have nothing in common and so they'd rather fight each other than get along. Yeah, there was another commenter that was responding to the lady's question about what the immigration was like and, and he was uh, responding from personal experience because he had lived there in Finland about 10 years ago. And he said, there, you know, there obviously was some immigration, but everyone was pretty much following the, the same rules. It was pretty strict rules as far as uh, working, as far as uh, society, what happened in society, the language rules. Like you said, uh, 
you know, melting pot means everybody kind of fits into one basic set of rules. And, and we don't see that today. We see a, uh, what, what kind of a pot would it be? <laughs> a corroded pot, yeah. a pot that where everything's fighting everything inside the one container. Right. I mean, how often do you go out in public now or anytime you stay at a hotel or go to a restaurant or anything like that? and you don't hear your language being spoken. That's really common, whatever that other language might be. It's happening all the time, and it is hard to think that you're all Americans if you don't even all know how to communicate with each other. You You don't have a common sense of brotherhood anymore if you can't even relate on the level of language. Yeah, and and people don't certainly don't go back to look at the Bible in terms of how God wanted society to be. And, you know, how he, where he put people and, and said, you know, you should stay in your locations. And you can visit and you can, you know, travel. But when you start mixing everything together, there's there's just problems. I mean, even when Israel went into the promised land, where did they go? They all went with their tribes. And that's that's where everybody is the same basic race. Mm-hmm. But even there, they stayed with their tribes. You know, Judah, you go here. <laughs> Ephraim, you go here. They put them in different tribes. That's the way God set it up. But people don't want to do it that way today. Exactly. And it is important to remember, too, that it is pretty one-sided. It's only these prosperous Western nations that are expected to mix like this. I saw a pretty funny graphic. It was uh, basically an animated version, but it had uh, the word Africa, and then it had all these people living in Africa, and every single one of them was black. Then it had uh, Central and South America, and every single one of them was brown. It had Asia. Every single one of them is yellow. And then it comes to like America or any of these other Western European nations, basically, and it's every single color. So that's basically how it works, where other nations aren't expected to integrate, but we definitely are. You see it in the Olympics, too, which sometimes works to the U.S.'s favor. But Oh, yeah. I mean, if you see an Olympic athlete from a particular nation, they're always typically the race of that nation. Yeah. And then the U.S., it can be anything, yeah. which, which, again, it's probably probably benefits us because there's different skill sets there. But, but yeah, you definitely see it at the Olympics. Yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious. And, um, of course, whenever our nations are so prosperous and blessed by God due to the promises of Ab- uh, made to Abraham— uh, a lot of people are going to want to experience that, and of course, people will try to uh, move here and and partake in those blessings. But there is a certain responsibility required of those who uh, migrate to to these places to try to uphold the standards and the values that these countries already hold to. If if our nations just let people come in and basically pillage the country, seventy five percent of them getting on welfare and whatnot, that's not any way to keep the nation running strong yeah we were we were watching the olympics last night and um there was a a participant that won a medal from the u.s and originally uh, from korea but now in the u.s and and uh my wife said well how do you how did they get here legal immigration Mm -hmm. legal immigration and they're very successful and really representing the u.s in, in quite an extraordinary way but through legal means so how come that's not a conversation on the broadca- the, the Olympic broadcast? Look, look at the benefit of doing it legally. Right. They, they can actually come out and publicly participate in the Olympics. It would be a little harder for an illegal immigrant to do the same thing. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't even have the paperwork to qualify to compete. So there are a lot of benefits such as that and, of course, a lot of other more everyday benefits of just doing it the right way. And, no, and the thing is, no one is against that. No one is against 
immigrants coming here who want to benefit the country, who want to consider themselves now American first, there's no problem with that whatsoever. If people want to come here and establish businesses and live the American dream and spend the time and money that it takes to make that possible, who, who is actually against that? It's, uh, of course, always comes up and it's always a, a, a fight in uh, the political realm about immigration. But uh, Finland's doing okay. <laughs> and uh, they don't have some of those same issues. So anyway, that's an interesting look at a nation and why they're, according to some reports anyway, being pretty successful. Make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. The top story is The Tangled Step Family Tree by Dennis Leap. American family trees are becoming overgrown with new growth as divorces and step families multiply. This is an interesting phenomenon. There are a lot of people that live in families, but the way those families are constructed are a lot different than what they used to be. Yeah, it has gotten pretty complicated where, like Mr. Leaf said, the average family is 66% larger because of step families. And uh, he even said in the start there, does it should it really take a flow chart to try to keep track of who you're related to? And it's and he had some pretty funny examples of, you know, what exactly do you call someone who is like your stepmom's son's live-in girlfriend's son? And it's like there's no actual name for that because it gets so complicated. And that might sound humorous, except for the fact that so many people are living in that type of situation. Yeah, it really is, uh, and it, it does become more uh, complicated. He says in this uh, write-up from the Trumpet that as family structures become more complicated, a new body of research is attempting to quantify the trend. The proliferation of stepchildren, half-siblings, and other extended relationships has important implications for how American families function or how they dysfunction in some cases. It is safe to predict the impact of the addition of stepfamily trend will burden families for some time to come. If you are in such an arrangement or considering entering one, he writes, it is important to open your eyes to the facts that it is an important starting point for being able to make the best of the situation reading this write-up. So, again, some people are in that situation, and it doesn't always have to be bad, but it's something you really have to think about before jumping into. Yes, and of course, if, if people are considering uh, getting into it, that means that uh, maybe that situation was already there and you're considering marrying into it, which in a lot of cases there's no problem with that. But when a step family is created, like like he says here, through uh, divorce, which is constantly promoted now, you can get like a no-fault divorce for $10. There's billboards on the side of the highway that advertise that all the time. If that is how step families are being created, because as soon as someone gets tired in the marriage relationship and they don't think that the other person is fulfilling them enough and then it's time to move on and they can just do that three or four or five times in their lives and then take on more and more stepkids every time. Obviously that's not something that God would approve of. And it's uh, pretty stressful on these families. Like, like he says, there's a lot of different problems there with uh, step families feeling less connected. You don't know, where your obligations lie, who, which parts of the family do you help out when they get elderly and they need more, more special care? Does the stepson really feel as obligated to take his stepdad to the doctor, for example? Uh, you know, vacations, how do you even decide which parts of your gigantic family goes on the vacation with you? If, if you're, if there's like, you know, 200 people in the step family, it does get pretty complicated there. Um, not to mention the emotional strain like Mr. Leap, Mr. Leap talks about. Uh, there's just so many different issues. Um, one boy in that article talked to a therapist and said his new family was like 
attempting to run a marathon with two broken legs. Well, wow. that's something to consider, isn't it? Uh, how family members are going to feel about getting into those types of family structures. Yeah, there's interesting statistics. This, they have a website for this, like they do everything. Stepfamily.org. Uh, these are some of the statistics. 1,300 new stepfamilies are forming every day. Wow. Uh, over 50% of U.S. families are remarried or recoupled, which I guess they don't get married. They just live together. The average marriage in America lasts seven years. So if you look at the marriage statistics, I mean, a lot of people are getting married, but they're getting married and married and married or, or just recoupling. One out of every two, of course, ends in divorce. 75% of those remarry. They try it again. 66% of those living together or remarried break up when children are involved. So we keep shuffling around. And, you know, if it was a one, if it happened one time, if there's one remarriage, maybe that would be a little more like you could get used to it. But what if it happens three or four times and it keeps being these new connections? It's, it, is, it is a really interesting question. Right. And Mr. Leap does a great job concluding his article with God's view on the situation and how God definitely has a perspective on it that's very different from the way we think about it, where carnally it's easy to think of marriage selfishly. What what does the other person do for us? And if that person isn't doing well enough for us, then we can move on. But God says, what about the Ten Commandments? What about not committing adultery? What about having one partner your whole life until death do you part? That's what God says. And if we all did that, we wouldn't have these many, many problems from from step families. And this story is just another example of how if you don't follow what God says to say uh, or says to do, then a lot of problems result. Yeah. And like you point out, a lot of these step families aren't coming because of, you know, like a death or a, something like yeah. that. It's, it's because of other sins, quite frankly, and then more and more happens. So again, it can happen. And it's not to say that if a person's in that situation, it's a, you know, has to be a horrible thing, but there's just a trend here to to look at. Also, make sure you stop and check out the Trumpet Daily today. That's coming up in just a bit here on KPCG. Uh, your host, Stephen Flurry today talks about America's decaying morality and uh, talks a fair bit about the new trend in pornography where a lot of parents are saying, we don't mind if our kids look at porn. We just want to have an idea of what kind it is. Wow. You know, so, I mean, man, that's where we're at today. Yeah. Someone a few years ago told me that um, a family they knew basically just allowed their son to do that and he was able to put a sign outside his door saying don't come in i mean it just was blatant out there in the open everyone in the family knew what was going on at certain times and the parents were not strong enough to stop it yeah he has some interesting quotes in the show today about some uh, well they're usually psychologists or professors or something where they're saying well uh, we just want to be able to talk to the kids about it and make sure they understand it's not real like movie violence it's okay just understand it's not real but it's not supposed to affect them. So pretty amazing. And just a few statistics here real quickly that might be surprising to you or might not be. Uh, porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. 35% of all Internet downloads are porn-related. The Internet's built on pornography pretty much. Yeah, and then we've heard before that um, the pornography industry is bigger than the four major sports in America by far. It's not even it's not even close if you combine all those sports more people are spending time on pornography than than sports too, and of course it's getting grosser and grosser. The uh, uh, well, child pornography—it's one of the fastest growing online businesses. So once you start getting into that, where does it stop, right? So plenty of just horrible statistics on that, but uh, it's a topic that uh, is talked about on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Just uh, lots of uh, changes going on. 
You're listening to Trump Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcg.fm. And if you'd like to email us, you can send uh, emails to comments at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon, and a guest stopping by, Mr. Gareth Frazier. Hello, greetings. Hi, how's it going? Going well. Good to see you. Good to be here. Uh, Mr. Frazier has come in today to uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, some projects that he's working on, um, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But I have one more story I wanted to talk about, and I want to bring you in on this because you, uh, you've you been in the media biz for a while. Mm-hmm. New York Times CEO today says print journalism has maybe another 10 years, and then it's dead. Mm. Think so? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I spent a lot of time on the West Coast, and uh, your tablet software... Uh, mobile technology has just uh, exploded across that area. And there's a place for both, obviously. Uh, that is where the market is today. And as you know, that is why the, the trumpet and the key of David and even KPCG really focus on those areas of audience penetration. But it is sad to see that decline in the activeness of reading, whether it be a senior or a child. Yeah, and there's something interesting too, and I don't, you know, that like you said, that's where the trend's going. But <clears throat> I, there is a, maybe maybe a danger in it, and uh, this is uh, I read this uh, recently in a book, uh, "Crimes Against Liberty." It's by uh, David Limbaugh, and he's talking about some of these new trends in the media, and he says that uh, uh, he talked about net neutrality and some of those rules. And then he said that there's a, the FCC had a plan under President Obama to recapture almost half the radio spectrum currently being used by 1,600 TV stations and rededicate it to broadband services. So that sounds okay. But some speculate the FCC really aims to end all broadcasting and move all news, information, and entertainment to the Internet. From there, the government could regulate content beyond that contemplated by the administration's proposed net neutrality. As uh, Mark Hyman, commentator for Sinclair Broadcast Group, said, it would be much easier for a president to shut down the Internet than to turn off 1,600 individual television transmitters and whose content is much more cumbersome to monitor. So the Internet's awesome, but it's one basket, right? And what if somebody pulls the plug on your basket? So I think that's an interesting point, too. I think it's a very valid point. And having spent quite a bit of time in the West... Uh, our larger media outlets that are the kings of this technology are, for all intents and purposes, leftist-leaning and very supportive of the prior president's mindset. And the current president appears to have put a temporary stop to that. But if you can control that media, which was what was happening, and especially into the schools. Uh, my children grew up in those schools in the West, and they hand them a tablet straight away, and they're reading right out of the tablet. The libraries are full of those tablets And so there has been a war against paper, a war against books, a war against education. And you're right. Powerful tool, but in the wrong hands, a devastating tool. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see which which direction that goes. But uh, we have both. We're on the Internet, and you can get the old-fashioned print as well. (laughs) We will send that to you. Uh, We wanted to uh, talk to uh, Mr. Frazier today about uh, some projects that you're working on in particular. Uh, first of all, uh, the Royal Vision magazine, which uh, a lot of listeners may be aware of it, but some may not be. We have the Trumpet magazine, which focuses more on the world news events. Royal Vision would be more Christian living. Indeed. And to understand the Royal Vision, for any listeners who are unfamiliar with it, it's vital to understand what was the good news, which was a powerful magazine established by Herbert W. Armstrong back in the early 1930s, well, the late 1930s, actually. It was February 1939, 
that the good news came online in Eugene, Oregon. And it was for Christian living, to feed the flock and the co-workers of the work. And he wrote in the good news, it was to bring inspiration, encouragement in the face of trial, test, opposition, and persecution. So they sorely needed help to help them grow in grace and knowledge in our Lord, showing them how to overcome. And the good news would become a powerful force in the church at the time of the attack of the state of California upon the church. And at that time, it only numbered in circulation 115,000. It was to grow in subscriber development to over a million serving members and co-workers and the elite of society, politicians, Hollywood actors, sportsmen, in understanding the basics of the Bible. So that is a great backdrop to what we have here with the Royal Vision today. The Royal Vision's beginnings were essentially when Mr. Florian and Mr. Amos were fired on December 7th, 1989 in Pasadena for the writing of Malachi's message, but also for the defense of mystery of the ages, the plain truth, and the good news. So you could say on the evening of December 7th, the Royal Vision was always going to be born as a rebirth and a successor to the Good News magazine. So, yes, it began with a small editorial department, essentially Mr. Flurry, who had experience in The Plain Truth, and then Mr. Amos, who had experience in The World Tomorrow program. He bought airtime. So uh, this Christian Living magazine is a fantastic tool in the work, and we, we give it away free of charge. Right. Yeah, like all things at the uh, thetrumpet.com or... or, or uh uh, PCOG.org, which I guess would be the website for the mm-hmm. Royal Vision. And so, uh, yeah, and it does kind of split down those two lines where you have the, the news and what's happening. And, of course, Christ said to watch and pray. But then also there is this uh, necessity to feed the flock. People that are interested, they want to get more in-depth into what the Bible teaches. They can see that things are happening in the world, and they're interested in the news aspect of it. But then also, you know, everyone looks at their own lives and says, I, I got a few few things I might want to brush up on or improve in. And uh, so the Royal Vision really fills uh, that uh, niche. And two, another thing that it does for those that, uh, if you're not a subscriber, and of course we recommend you do subscribe to that, but uh, is that when there's, uh, like say, a new new information coming out that might be in a booklet or something, a lot of times you get your first really go at it in the Royal Vision because uh, the editor-in-chief, Gerald Fleury, will have quite a large section section of each magazine, so you can get some of the newest information there before you probably see it down the line in a booklet form or something like that. That's absolutely correct. Um, for those who don't have an account uh, online, I mean, they can sign up at PCOG.org in the sign-up feature, and we've already posted it this week. The March-April edition is already out, and as you mentioned, they will receive, for instance, uh, material on Hebrews and Zechariah and the New Stone, New Throne, all of that came through the Royal Vision, which, as you point out, is precisely Mr. Flory following the example of Mr. Armstrong, where that played out over the good news. It would be serialized and then printed for the for the greater public. It was really great to hear some of that history you gave of the Royal Vision as well, and some of the background, just because uh, at, a t- at the time... Uh, the church was just basically crushing the doctrines, removing them from existence. And the Royal Vision is a pretty valuable way to make sure that people are staying well-versed in the true doctrines and, and understanding uh, what God's truth is instead of just letting it getting taken away from them. Well, that's so true. And um, re- uh, listeners may not un- uh, know or understand or have any of the, the backdrop that it was actually the Philadelphia News. We began a publication black and white, and then we added blue, which we thought was fantastic at the time. (laughs) I'm a big fan of blue. Uh, 
And we were just delighted to see the growth in the magazine, the addition of writers, Mr. Flurry, Mr. Amos, Mr. Stephen Flurry, uh, Mr. Joel Hillica came online, Mr. Tim Thompson as writers. And then, of course, it was in 1998 that the Royal Vision was born in the January-February edition, overtaking the, the Philadelphia News, which we know today as the Philadelphian. And so and it's very similar. Again, a lot of what people will see in the Philadelphia Church of God, it's a mirror image, really, of what Mr. Armstrong did. He had television. You know, we have television magazines. And it's the same pattern, of course. And so, uh, and it's similar in terms of subscription numbers, where with the uh, the Plain Truth magazine, there was quite a few, because it, it is more of the news base. And then the good news did get up to a million, but it was less. And it's the same sort of thing today, where uh, the, the trumpet has this bigger reach um, because of the news angle and so forth. But then more and more people are starting to come online with the Royal Vision as well. And those numbers are going up, too. As people go to personal appearance campaigns, they see Mr. Fleury speak live, and they realize that there there is a little more that they need than, than just paying attention to the news, which is so vital. But then there is this Christian living aspect. So those numbers have been increasing with the Royal Vision as well. Well, indeed. And, and you pinpoint... Uh, the primary and the secondary commission, you're right. Obviously, the, the trumpet being to warn the world, to prophesy again, that, that uh, final warning witness message, and then the royal vision serving the feeding of the flock. And that, as I mentioned, that includes the, the members and the co-workers. And it's interesting to note that almost 80% of the royal vision's readership are non-PCG members. And that just reinforces how popular this publication is. And I even checked this morning online with some Google Analytics, and KPCG is one of the principal drivers of traffic to the PCOG website. And one of the primary reasons people are using the website is to read this very publication. So uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, well, we do, we do try to feature articles from the PCOG website uh, pretty often uh, because they're, they're, they're great. I mean, they're a bite-size, you know, it's, it's not a booklet, but it, it gives you just tremendous uh, insight into a particular topic or something. It really works for like a radio format. And then, of course, reading those, uh, it works as well. And so that's good to uh, that's good to know that we've had some impact. We've had a positive impact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like you mentioned about well, the... <laughs> well, rem- remember, you, ha- you guys have faces for radio. That's true. We've heard that. That's what, that's what Grant's mom always tells us. We're always told we have good voices. That oh. They're, they're conspicuously leaving out the other part of it. Oh, that. I see, yeah. Well, that's the standard. Yeah, that's the standard, uh, the thing they say about radio folks. Uh, and so the Royal Vision, it's a free subscription, again, if people don't, uh, if they haven't uh, gotten it before, Christian Living Magazine, It's when you get the actual magazine, and, and of course, I think we always recommend that people get it. I know you can read it online, but there is something different to getting an actual copy in your hands, being able to make your notes and mark it up and that type of thing. So it's super high quality, uh, bi-monthly right now, 30 pages. And uh, so again, you can sign up at PCOG.org and uh, and get this magazine. Hopefully more and more people will sign up for it because it is such a, a high-quality magazine. And it's had a little bit of a, a facelift. You, you've come on board. You've been invo- working for the for the church for many, many years, but you've come on board recently with the Royal Vision and a few other projects. So you guys have had some some changes. Um, what have you done to, to uh, try to forward the Royal Vision? Well, there's an interplay there between the Royal Vision and editorial and personal correspondence. So what we did the last six months is build a pool of factual-based data of what are people actually writing to us, calling us about, or emailing in about. Let, let's take the, um, 
you know, the pulse of the audience. And that is numbered in almost a thousand pieces of, of correspondence. And so you begin to see certain trends, certain top subjects. For instance, you know, in the last six months, the top subjects that have come to us have been related to the Sabbath and the holy days and requests request to attend and angels and demons and subjects like that, Mr. Armstrong, Mr. Flory, that really need to know. So there has to be a balance of the meat of the word and the milk of the word, particularly when 80% of your readership is non-attending individuals. So we're working to strike that balance and feature ACIF, feature the Key of David, of course, has its, uh, what, uh, major anniversary. We're up to 20-plus uh, years, 25 years anniversary. This is pretty exciting for the Key of David. And helping the readers, as they did in the good news in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, address subjects from marriage to prayer, Christian living. We even have an article in the latest Royal Vision about God's law on your hair. Now, for you and I, Dwight, that, that, uh, that's more of a limited vision since we have less hair. But yes. for Grant, of course, that bodes well. Still have the curly locks. Always a constant <laughs> temptation for Grant to keep it shorter. Yeah. Well, in this sin-filled world, it's those basic fundamentals. Having served in the field ministry also uh, some 17 years, these are subjects that you're asked as soon as you walk in the door. Yeah. So have you, uh, have you been surprised by what? the main most questions are but like you said i guess being on the field you're not really surprised cause you've heard it already mm-hmm. but for what you told me about it a while ago and i was surprised i thought oh really that people are interested in that but but sure i mean if you're just coming you're just coming online so to speak to god's way of life there's gonna be a lot of questions because you just i don't know no one's ever told you before so you'd ask some pretty what could be considered basic but so fundamental questions yeah and it seems like row of vision meetings lately have focused more on practical everyday subjects you mentioned a few but even like financial tips um child rearing ideas things like that which uh you know sometimes probably are easy to overlook for people in the church but if you're if you're talking to people in the world who need that basic instruction you can't leave that out of the different issues oh absolutely and uh, you know revelation 12 9 underscores that with satan cast down of course at the death of god's End time Elijah, and he is he's going after the audience that we have, and they need answers, and we have the answers through the, the Word of God. You know, basic things like you just mentioned, Grant. We have a th- this subject's addressed in the latest edition. Should the unbaptized pay, take Passover? I can't tell the amount of people I've met who are unconverted and don't understand the truth, who have been taking Passover for years, and then recognize that's, that's a serious, serious subject and a dangerous sin, and they need to better understand that. And that's where the field ministry really do encounter these subjects over and over and over again. It's like going into a softball blindfolded, and <laughs> you, you, Christ is guiding the bat, and you're hitting every ball based on the Word of God. So, yes, there has to be a fine balance to the meat of the Word, which is coming right out of God's apostle, as you said, dominating nine, ten-plus pages. And having Grant involved is integral uh, as well in the Royal Vision because of his assistance and support to Mr. Flurry and the working at the personal appearance campaigns. So the pushing of it lately on the key of David, the letters to the trumpet subscribers offering them that, and as you know it, the personal appearance campaigns, the advertising of the publication. Yeah, the personal appearance campaigns are about as strong of a 
push toward the Royal Vision as you could get. It's not like he always explicitly says subscribe to the Royal Vision, but these are all Key of David viewers, trumpet subscribers who are at these different appearances. L.A. last month, Houston this month. There's going to be many more. Chicago we went to last year. But these are people who know about the world news to, uh, and Bible prophecy connection. But then Mr. Flurry's up there saying, well, you know this truth, but God actually expects action from it. And there is a specific path to take once you start hearing the truth. And so that's kind of where the Royal Vision comes in. There was a great article in there about what coworkers are in, a, in, a, in ish, an issue or two ago. A lot of people probably don't know what coworkers are, and yet Mr. Flurry is addressing coworkers, brethren and coworkers, in a lot of his letters. Coworkers are not members of the church yet, but that's probably a big question too. Are we in the church because we watch it on TV, because we read the publications, or do we have to do more than that? It's, a, it's practical instruction, and it does help people realize that maybe another step is needed. Right, yeah, there are, um, well, you always hear about that. Lots of people that, that think they think they're in the church because they, they watch the Key of David, and they, they support it and everything, and they get, they get all the literature, and they don't, they haven't realized maybe there's another step that they have to take. And, and then they probably, and they want to. Again, you know, it's not like proselytizing where you're banging down their door necessarily. They, they want to take this step, but they sometimes just probably aren't aware that they even have to or what they need to do. They don't even know that there are specific congregations around the world that they can even attend. They, some of them think it's literally a TV-based church. Right. Yeah. We Sometimes, uh, if, if listeners aren't familiar, sometimes during uh, uh, services we'll have letters read from you know people that write in uh, about different things. And that, that's always kind of a somewhat of a humorous one where they say, oh, I'd love to get to church, but boy, I just can't make it to Edmond. And it's like, well, they probably got a church five minutes down the road. It's more than just here. So, you know, but what you don't know, you don't know. I've encountered that numerous times. Uh, those who feel like they're members of the Key of David or members of the trumpet.com right. or uh, whatever the case may be, actual students of the college themselves, when and recognizing John six forty four that no one can come to Christ except the Father draw them. There is that pathway that God has set down. And it's beautiful to watch, watch it work like it did through the plain truth, through the good news, down on into, supported by the co-worker letters. Uh, the Royal Vision gives the readers an intimate, close relationship with God's apostle and particularly God, as you mentioned, Grant, much deeper understanding than what they might agree with on the other issues that you both spoke about earlier in reviewing the news, but they have problems. They have issues they have to face in their life, like you two mentioned, whether it's pornography, whether it's crime, whether it's addictions, whether it's their hair, uh, for instance, or whether it's Easter, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's, Mardi Gras. Uh, th this is real. And, um, you know, one of the greatest challenges we face in the field is the addiction to prescription medication today, which opens the door for the adversary. And so the Royal Vision plays a crucial role. And to see the subscriber development increase, like you're referring to, will strengthen those army of coworkers and that 80 percent. And we will see growth in the Philadelphia Church of God, continuing growth as we are receiving right now in advance of Christ's return. So it's wonderful to see the developments. Yeah, that's a really good point you bring up about, say, uh, what would I guess be considered sort of a new problem, prescription drugs. And I was just thinking about how the, one of the reasons that the Royal Vision is such a, an important uh, periodical for people, or whether they go to the website or they get the magazine, is because there's all sorts of new 
problems that are coming down the line. I mean, just think about the things that people deal with today. You know, we were talking about having an article on child rearing. Well, child rearing today, even though fundamentally it's the same, there's a lot of new challenges to it. There, there are things that are thrown at children, you know. Even we were, I was talking the other day about the Olympics. You watch the commercials, and they're pushing transgender on children during an Olympic broadcast in commercials. So as a parent, you have to sit there and you have to monitor that, talk to your kids about those types of things. And if, if, if you were out there, you know, just living life and really didn't have an idea of what God said about how we should live or what we should do, it would be a pretty uh, terrifying time in a lot of ways because what do you do with all these new problems that pop up? And that's where you, you'll get the answers in the royal vision. You're right. Satan's the prince of the power of the air. And as you underscored before, you know, there does have to be a balance. And that's another point you bring up that we deal with all the time, and that is screen addiction, mm-hmm. <laughs> screen addiction with children and getting away from the screen and getting them outside amongst the sun. And, uh, you know, when I grew up and you fellows grew up, you were outside all the time till you heard, come back in, and you were hanging upside down <laughs> from a tree or, or throwing the ball. And it was completely different in today's day and age. And Satan is a master of the attack on the family and the royal vision if you sum it up in one word, it is all about the family of God, the very gospel of God. And the one other thing we wanted to touch on today and, and the time we have left is, and you mentioned it earlier, is the uh, personal correspondence department, which you're involved in as well. And so if people have questions, I mean, obviously a lot of it's addressed in, say, the Royal Vision, or maybe they can find an article online, but they can also write in a specific question. They sure can. And you guys will get to it and you'll write them back and you'll give them an answer. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of people that may have questions and maybe they're just not aware of uh, the fact that you can get in touch uh, with the church in that way. Yeah, maybe you could give us just a little, little history of this program and then, you know, expand it out to, to how do people go about the process of writing in a letter or, or asking a question in some form. Sure. And that, that's a good introduction. The history of the personal correspondence department, if you will, began in 1933 in October, when Mr. Armstrong reiterated the beginning of the present work. Of course, he was up at the Fisher Farm prior to that. You can read all about that in the New Stone, New Throne Royal Vision. But he began writing to people. They had questions, and they needed biblically-based answers. And so he'd write back to them, Mrs. Armstrong would assist him. And it was uh, grew up into a department that they called the LAD, the Letter Answering Department, later renamed Personal Correspondence Department. And uh, listeners can request, or if they have a copy of his autobiography, Mr. Armstrong's, he wrote in that, that we, he's talking about he and his wife in Eugene, Oregon, we always knelt and prayed over them. This is the mail, <laughs> asking God to bless them and those that receive them. And this connection between the personal correspondence department and the editorial department was brought out in the good news of 1978, when Mr. Armstrong for all the reasons you just brought up before, the doctrines, the questions, the problems, there has to be a connection between the two. People, we're a communicative creation. When Eve was created, Adam wanted to communicate. I, I would guarantee that. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? Right. <laughs> he was alone talking to the, to the animals prior to that. That was quite a revelation. So there was your first personal correspondence interaction right there. <laughs> but it grew and grew and grew. And letters and phone calls initially, you remember those early days. This is pre-fax, pre-email, 
for your young generation of listeners, you're probably you know, you just glossed over what I just said. Right. These are letters that had to come in with stamps that had to be opened and processed. Parchment leather Parchment scrolls. Parchment leather. You know, well, we're, it was a little more advanced than the pony yeah, trail, yeah. but uh, you know, USPS hasn't really much improved no, on all of its no. delivery days. I think Amazon's proved that. But uh, email uh, really came along. And even with the PCG and our beginnings, email had not reached its its point it's at today. And we began with Mr. Flurry and Mr. Amos responding to people's questions. Uh, and there's many of them, hundreds and hundreds of different types of questions. And so the connection between editorial is vital because it gives editorial the pulse of the audience and what they're talking about. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's been asking about. Yeah, it's really wonderful to be able to write in a question because, you know, people have, uh, I've, I mean, I for a time I did some of that, and uh, you see some of the questions that come in, and, you know, and, and people in most cases are really, really interested in something very specific. And uh, mm-hmm. to be able to have somebody answer that and get to them, uh, I think it means a lot. And, um, you know, and sometimes they are very urgent type questions where they need just a lot of uh, very specific answers that may you know, on topics that may not be addressed in, in a broader article. Well, you know, people have personal lives and they have questions that they want to ask. And so, if people do want to write in a question, um, how do they go about doing it? What are some of the ways they can get in touch with you guys? Okay, well, we have the contact us tabs on the trumpet dot com. That's at the top right there on a mobile or desktop device, and also on the pcog.org. That's pcog.org again to the top right of the website. You can send a request to visit a minister or send in a question. Over 95% of the correspondence we receive is email-driven, and 5% is through letters. And we will give you a response within 24 or 48 hours. And that's how quickly we've become. I think it wasn't that way in 1933. Right. (laughs) And we're in this instant age of give me an answer now, and that's a danger as well. But uh, I'll be honest with you, the personal correspondence department has been crucial in saving lives of people who wanted to kill themselves or wanted to overdose or were in the midst of it and asking for answers. This this push-button age, as you mentioned before, there's, there's a lack of calmness and concentration. They just shoot off that, that email, and they come in from all around the world, just all around the world. In the last week, from the U.S., Canada, Australia, El Salvador, Ghana, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Pakistan, India— and the Philippines, and they, they need their questions answered, and they must be answered from the Bible. And we have so much literature, so much literature to point them back to, and our wonderful resources online as well to take advantage of. Pakistan. Well, that's interesting. It is interesting, too. You know, even with uh, KPCG being online, of course, you can listen to it anywhere you've got the Internet. And, you know, every once in a while you kind of take a look at the data and see where people are listening, and mm-hmm. you get, you get ran- the, the random Iranian Russian, you know, Chinese. just sort of yeah. checking it out for a little bit. I don't know if they speak English. I hope they do, because otherwise it'd be really confusing for them. But well, they're writing in in English, so that's about that's good. Yeah, <laughs> right. People are are writing it from all over the world. They're contacting uh, personal correspondents from all over the world. And one thing that's nice too is that because of all these years of responding to people, uh, there's a there's probably not going to be a question that comes across the desk that hasn't been deeply looked at and researched and and the answers are ready to to be sent back. Well, that is true because the army of resources produced from 1933 all the way through to Mr. Armstrong's death were of great benefit and the wisdom and the decades of ministry 
of Mr. Amos and, and particularly Mr. Flurry really set a wonderfully strong foundation for the Bible-based answers. These aren't the answers the Laodiceans are giving. It's not the answers that the the split-offs of the church are giving in their personal correspondence. If our if our listeners are asking searching questions and want the truth, well, the Philadelphia Church of God is going to give you that Bible-based answer unequivocally and without apology for, for your benefit. And so if you're listening and you're wondering, well, you know, I'm one of those 80 percent, and there's only so long you can sit on the fence if you know what we're writing in the trumpet and God's fulfillment of prophecies. So get those questions in. We'll get them answered. And those who are coming and writing to us are generally those of a higher quality. The overwhelming percentage are moving along in that pathway you brought out there, Grant, to their Royal Vision subscribers. They want to attend and they just need help. They need love. They need encouragement. And we pray over, by the way, every single one of those pieces of personal correspondence. So for the past six months, fellas, that's just under a thousand. That's wow. just under a thousand prayers. So I have gone through a few suits, I think, <laughs> uh, knee pads wise. But they need those prayers and that admonition of Mr. Armstrong to pray over that correspondence is also valuable. Yep, you can get a uh, free subscription to the Royal Vision magazine. You can get that at the Trumpet, or you can get it at PCOG.org. And you can also write in, as was mentioned, uh, PCOG.org. There's a Contact Us tab request, uh, literature or visit from a minister. So you can do all of that there. There's also a toll-free number in case you want to use the old, even now, even phone calls are kind of old-fashioned, but 800-772-8577, 800-772-8577. Most people probably prefer the Internet, PCOG.org. Contact us. Mr. Frazier uh, would love to hear from you and pass on, uh, either answer it himself or have, have uh, his staff help out. Well, we really appreciate you stopping by and talking to us. Uh, we'll definitely have to make uh, make time to do it again. Great. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for spending some time with us. Make sure this is for the Key of David program, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, coming up in a bit. For myself, Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon, and Mr. Gareth Frazier today, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.